Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. A quick note before we get into the episode... Oversharing is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical or psychological advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or mental health professional. Hello, and welcome back to Oversharing. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I'm Dr. Naomi Bernstein. What's up? How's your weekend? What's going on? Um, I got, I'm getting my groups together. We're officially up and running on that new group that I was starting, which is awesome. I love starting new groups. And this this newest group that I got has a lot of oversharing listeners. And I have to say, it's just so fun. The Betches listeners are, you know, I'm getting to meet some really smart, you know, insightful women that are open and, and men too. I'm opening this to men. So if any men out there are interested in group, it's a great um, avenue for everybody. I'd love to have more men in my groups, but, um, it's just, it's really fun. And I got more people than I could take. So I am going to start another group soon too. So if anyone out there is still interested or at any time, reach out to me, I'm always going to take people on the wait list and start new groups. I have to match everybody up. Um, you know, cause so everybody, you know, it's, it's a, a a good dynamic and a good group, but I'm really loving it. And, um, yeah, it's just uh, the new groups that are coming up are really just fun and just watching everybody kind of interact and help one another. It's in a lot of ways, I've said this before, it's even better than individual therapy. And it has to do like this. Um, we're going to talk about the article. Yeah. Um, and it's it's very group therapy is very connected to what we're going to talk about, which um, we're leaving the listeners a little bit hanging here. But um, just the idea of how integral human connection is to our ability to find happiness on this planet. We need human connection. It's in our DNA. So group is a place, great place to do that. It's funny because I know you said a lot of the the people that you have are from oversharing or from like the Betches community. And I do hear this a lot where like um, the people who are in this community, listen to the show, are really thoughtful, are really smart. Um, have really like insightful viewpoints, not just not just the two of us as the hosts, but anyone who's <laughs> listening is clearly like already interested in that. So it's great because it like f- you kind of like get a filter for yes. the kind of people that you're interacting with. You're not just sort of like joining a like Dallas Facebook group with every single kind totally. of person in there. Like, you know, they have the same kind of sensibility as you. You know that um, they're sort of like on the same page mentally about a lot of things. So I think it probably makes it easier even to share just knowing that you have that filter on the group. Yes. I I agree completely and I'm I'm very, you know, just like I said this this newest group and I'm excited to see what, you know, what type of groups I can put together in the future with, you know, this community of of men and women um that are really very interested in introspection and open to seeing themselves and just have a really deep, you know, level of thought and um, it's it's great. It's really awesome to to see and be a part of. So if anyone else out there wants to be a part of it, you can reach out to me at Naomi Bernstein Psych at gmail.com. Let me know that you're 
interested, it might be down the road, you know, like the, so the groups take a while to put together. So if you reach out to me today, there might not be a group that's starting for another month or two. But um, if you're interested, let me know and we'll see where we can go. That's great. And the groups are based on like a certain topic or a certain... So right now, I'm, like I'm, a- I, the topic that I'm doing is just inter... It's kind of the stuff that we talk about here, interpersonal relation, a mindfulness. All my groups are going to use mindfulness just because I think it's so important to kind of have that space and that steady practice and use that in your interpersonal relationship. So mm-hmm. all my groups are going to start off with meditation. All my groups are going to have that thread running through it. But... I've had so much interest in these interpersonal relationships groups that I'm just going to start another one, just like the one that I just did, because that one was full. And I'm, you know, I have a lot of people that, you know, that's kind of what people, a lot of people stress about on the day to day, even if it's, um, you know, coworker relationships, roommate relationships, dating relationships. It's, you know, a lot of what a lot of people are right thinking about all day. And what I love is that it's like a, especially for this particular group, it's a cost-effective way to get access to you. I mean, you're not taking new patients and it's kind of like you can get access to a very good therapist and other people's opinions who are going through what you're going through. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And yes, it is a great way to get in um, to to talk to me. But again, group therapy is just, an, an, it's an awesome People don't realize it. I think it's going to start to blow up because, like you said, it's more cost effective and you're also getting so much more of a dynamic there than just you and a therapist. You get to practice the stuff that you're doing in the room. Like we have times where somebody will, I could see that they're annoyed about something somebody said, right? Because they're people and they're just, you know, not everybody feels the same way. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, we kind of dig into it or we will talk about it and how do you deal with conflict and how do you phrase something in a way, like when you're with your individual therapist, you just like, let it fly, let loose, say whatever you want. But when you're in a group with other people, you have to do what you have to do in the real world, which is say how you feel in a way that's digestible to somebody else who's on the receiving end. So right. it's a great way to kind of practice that too. Well, I love that. Repeat the email one more time for anyone who didn't catch it. It's Naomi Bernstein Psych, P-S-Y-C-H, at gmail.com. Love that for you. Even though I'm going to miss making fun of the Yahoo account. Yes. This is a huge step. That's that's the last one. It's the last time we're going to mention it ever again. Yes, it's over (laughs) Um, now. So um, you guys won't have to hear that bad joke again. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but this leads us to our next, our, our topic that we wanted to talk about before we got into the emails, which was this article that I came across in the New York Times. It is called The Best Way to Comfort Someone When They're Sad. It's by Melinda Wenner Moyer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it's basically about a topic that I thought was really interesting because I have a lot of, I struggle a lot with this. Like, kind of like when I have a friend who's going through something that I have, especially if I haven't experienced it before. Mm -hmm. So if it's, you know, grief for the death of someone or like, I mean, I've been been through breakups, so that one's a little easier for me. Right. But a lot of the times if I haven't been through the situation or they get fired or there's something like in that kind of issue, I'm always like unsure of what to say. Sometimes I'm like, does this person even want to hear from me? 
And then when I do, I always feel like I say something awkward and I feel right. Um, right. So then it makes me want to avoid it more. Or I think even worse than that for me, because I like to keep it real so much is like, I'll say something that I feel like is like generic thing you're supposed to say. And I don't really feel like I'm being like an authentic person. Right. And so I loved this article because it was kind of like a what to do, what not to do. Right. Thing. Yeah, it was great. It was like a, a pretty step-by-step guide on how to support people. And the answer that is pretty simple in some ways, um, but I think the issue that you're touching on is how to do it genuinely, right? It's not right. like, oh, I'm so sorry wow. for your loss. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. So like how to do it genuinely um, and have it, and that's important. And that's why I was saying before, the, the biggest takeaway that I got from this or my favorite part of this article, I will say. Obviously, they talk about how validating someone's feelings is the first and most important thing you can do. And even if you haven't been through something, you can kind of put yourself in someone's perspective and just say, I can understand how horrible this feels. Or like, you might be tempted on the flip side if somebody says like, oh, you know, like I lost my job. I could see you kind of being like, all right, well you know, you'll find something else or, it's, right. you know, don't worry about it. Like you have, you're going to be okay. You have enough money in the bank. Like you'll be, you know, and yeah, that's, that's not, my instinct. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. and it's, and the instinct is also like a good one because you're trying to help them see the bright side or like make it feel not that bad. But what the article saying, and I agree is you have to first validate what they're saying and just show that you understand and show that they're not overreacting and that their right. feelings are normal and that you could understand how someone could feel like that. And the reason, the reasoning behind that is what we talk about all the time on here. When our human instinct, we need each other for survival, like human socialization. It's in our DNA that we are a species that survives by in groups and clans and, you know, communities. So if you're going through something and someone gives you the response of kind of like, you know, all right, calm down, calm down, relax. Oh my God, chill. I have a joke among my whole friend group. It's like, there's nothing that will like make you more enraged if you're like mad or upset about something than someone telling you to chill. Like if you're on a customer service call and someone's like, calm down. Like, like, okay. Like that is the complete opposite effect. Cause like you said, it invalidates someone's feeling. It makes them feel like they're, they're delusionally assessing the situation. Yes. And what is that on a visceral level? That is the, you know, caveman tribe where you get that vibe from someone that they're on the outside. You don't get it. They're weird. There's something wrong with them. They're not, you're not connecting. And so then that actually feels in our wiring that feels dangerous. So danger ignites that whole like anxious body, tense body, activated body, which then is just a pile on to whatever you're already upset about, because it's like, now I'm upset about whatever I'm upset about. And now my instincts are telling me not only that, but now um, I don't have a community, I don't have a connection, and now there's this survival instinct that activates your fight or flight danger system. So that's like a pylon, which is the exact underlying reason why someone telling you to relax is so upsetting. It's it's so triggering because it's sort of like 
Now, on top of that, I don't even have somebody who's going to be in my corner if I can't get this together or if I can't, you know, figure out my way around this. So that connection, it's just about creating that connection. And then the article says the next step after you validate someone and create that connection is then maybe you can say, maybe you want to look at it this way or. Right. If they see, or like, I like them how they were kind of like, see if the person is like looking for help or mm-hmm. if they're just looking to like talk about their feelings. Right. I wonder, because you have small kids who I'm sure get upset about things that you don't find to be oh, a big deal. Constantly. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, do you still do this kind of thing? If Even if you're kind of like, well, you know, you know she didn't share her ice pop. And so like. Yes. Or are you like, I can understand why you feel that way. Like, yeah. do you still do that? <laughs> I try. I really try. And it works. It really works. And what my kids love, and it's funny because it works with adults too. My kids love, and sometimes I'll even have to just like fib it, fudge it to like do it. But I'll be like, you know, when I was a little girl once, my I remember I was at the grocery store and I really wanted a lollipop and my mom wouldn't give it to me. And I got so angry. And then they just stop and they're like, okay, you get Someone it. Someone gets it. Wow. You, yeah. Like you understand where I'm coming from. So it, it works wonders with kids. If you can just kind of let them know, like they're not crazy for their feelings. I don't think they get it as much if you do the psycho babble of, you know, kind of like, oh, I understand how you feel. That doesn't work as well as when right. I give them like a very specific example of a time that I literally felt the same way that they felt. Um, and most of the time I'll have to say, okay, when I was a kid, because as an adult, I'm not going to get that upset about a lollipop, but that works with <laughs> friends too. If you're kind of like, you know what? I mean, maybe you told like why you said you have a harder time when you like literally can't relate at all. Well, yeah, because I'm kind of like, I don't really know what to say that will be helpful or feel again, like real. I don't know. I just find it like I want to, you know, you want to reach out and help them, but I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm like the best person for helping them. I don't do this that well. But right. then you also don't want to be the person who's not You're like, um, reaching I out. think you should probably call somebody else. Uh, not- <laughs> <laughs> call me when things are good, not yeah. when things are bad. People love that. Right. Um, <laughs> when people are just around for the fun stuff. But I think you can probably say something like, I can imagine how scary that must be if they lost their right. job or something like that, you know, like. And you probably could imagine how scary that must be, you know? Yeah. I also find like the, maybe it's because like most of this stuff is done via text that I find it so hard to, like in person, I feel like I have, I can have a much more real, better conversation, but in text, I'm kind of like analyzing everything I'm writing. And then I'm kind of like, is this coming out correctly? I was just going to say for you, I think you have a particular like cheese radar that like goes off. You have a sensitive, like, cheesy radar. So if you're saying something over text and it feels, like, a little too, like, you know, cheesy and warm and fuzzy, you're probably like, I literally can't write that. Um, Right. I could easily – I could more easily say it. Say it, yes. To someone's face or on a phone call or something like that. So that is my preferred method of of reaching out. But sometimes you're not close enough to be like, or I'm kind of like this. I don't know if this person wants to have a whole phone call with me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to comfort them in the way that I feel comfortable. I want to comfort them in the way that they feel comfortable. If they're texting you, that's probably what they want to do is text you. 
Right. So then I'm kind of like, I don't know how like my tone is coming across. I don't know if I'm coming off as insensitive. I also don't know if I'm not sure like if they're not that if they're like, let's say they text me that they got laid off. I'm kind of like, well, I don't want to part of me wants to see the bright side thing because I'm like, I don't know if they're maybe they're trying to stay positive. So right. I don't want to be like, I'm so sorry. That must be so hard if they're like, because um, that, you know, when I, when I go through something bad, sometimes it's like someone kind of validating that it's bad makes me then feel worse about it. Right. And on text, it's so hard. Yeah. You want to just be like, oh, wow, that sucks. And then they're kind of, wait, like what? That doesn't, it's not, it doesn't suck that bad, does right. it? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, right. Like, I want to know how much you think it sucks so I can support, I can sort of, yes, whatever, I can go right. with whatever you're feeling. Like, if you're upset, I'll validate that you could be upset. If you're not that upset, I don't want to make you more upset by telling you you should be upset. Right. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think the article does a good job of kind of gearing. I What the article is saying is validate the feelings, you know, mm-hmm. tell them they're not crazy for feeling that way. Whatever level of suckiness they're at is exactly what you should validate. And the other interesting little tidbit that it gives is pay attention to how your friends support you when you're upset. And that's probably how they want to be supported when they're upset. You know, that's a great point. Like, um, with the call, for example, right. You know, if I called, cause I usually, if I haven't like, that's a, that's actually the perfect example. Cause if I have an issue, I'm always gonna, and I feel close to someone, I'm always going to call them and tell them right. why I'm upset or like what happened. Um, so I can talk it out rather than text them. And so I guess if they're paying attention to you, how I prefer to, to do the same thing. Right. Totally. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it. Um, and then the other, the last piece that I was noting that they put down as something that was, um, a good strategy is what they call temporal distancing, which we talk a lot about on this show. So I thought it was a good thing to mention is just, Letting them know, like, yes, this is really hard right now, but it's not going to be like this forever. You know? Yeah. Just, and that's after the validation. Because if you just come out of the box with that, then it could feel sort of dismissive. So I think if you spend a few minutes validating and then are kind of like, I know this is really hard right now, but at some point you're going to be in a better place and it's not going to be like this forever. Right. With no judgment or anything like that. I mean, I don't know if you watch the show Fleischman's in Trouble. No. It's on Hulu, and there's the scene where the guy's daughter, like, she's – she gets kicked out of camp because she's, like um, – she sends, like, suggestive pictures of herself. She just got a phone, and she, like, sends it to a boy, and then he shared it with all his friends, and then they, like, kicked her out of camp, and she's, like, so upset. And I thought it was, like, the most beautiful scene where the dad, like, goes to pick her up, and he just, like, hugs her, and he's, like, it's not going to – it's not going to be, like, forever. Like, this isn't going to last. Like, yes. going to be okay. And I thought it was just like a really beautiful parenting scene because there was no like judgment about what she had done. There was yes. no like um, obviously like fake relatability because he- <laughs> right, right. But you know, when I was um, a little boy, I sent right. nudes <laughs> to someone else. <laughs> so I thought that was like a really great scene. And this article reminded me of that scene and how like great of a of a tool that is for someone, even if totally. you have nothing else to do, just the reminder that anything, any, anything negative is not going to, it's not going to feel like this forever. And even if you can't relate, that's just a nice thing to remind someone. Of. Right. And it's, and it is literally a fact. Yeah. Like you're not going to feel like this forever. So it's a great way to support somebody. Oh, that sounds sweet. I like that. Yeah. Good show. You should, it's, it's an interesting, uh, psychological, um, 
psychology kind of show too you should watch it all right i'll put it on the list this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. i can't say how many times i've thought i just wish i had one more hour in this day i probably do a different thing with it every day some days i would probably call a friend catch up other days i would take a long nap but either way an extra hour would always really help me out a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time the question is time for what If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I personally have been to therapy for many years and it has been so, so helpful, not only in prioritizing what I want, what I want to spend my time on, how I want to live, but also helping me optimize my relationships and use that time more wisely, like use that time to create better bonds with people, more intimate experiences. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com overshare today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash overshare. Yeah, so should we get into today's emails on that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I'll read the first one. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. I've been loving this podcast so much and appreciate you both. I'll get right into my issue. I'm a 27-year-old female living in Canada. Around nine months ago, I found out my best friend of over a decade had been having an ongoing affair with my other close friend of over a decade's fiance. This was only made worse by the fact that my best friend was set to be a bridesmaid in their upcoming wedding. This had all started nearly two years prior while my close friend was pregnant and she lied and kept this a secret to me and all of our other friends, even when a rumor had circulated about this year prior. Finding this out and all the details of the affair, frequent hookups, including the day before the bridal shower, sending photos and videos to the fiance, completely devastated our close friend group of 13 girls. All of 13 girls. That's a lot of people to be in a very close friend group. (laughs) All of the girls completely turned on my best friend immediately. The destination wedding was canceled. Over 100 people lost their deposits. And the whole friend group was left dealing with a soap opera-like drama. I was completely shocked and devastated by my best friend's actions. And she admittedly needed some time to process. And I admittedly needed some time to process this myself as well. Fast forward nine months and I've spoken to my best friend only a handful of times. I'm really struggling with the loss of this friendship, but I'm finding it very hard to imagine a future for this friendship given no one else has forgiven her. And I'm not sure I can even ever trust her as a friend anymore either. However, I'm struck by my feelings of grief over losing the closest and best friend I've ever had in my life and still feel, to be honest, somewhat traumatized by the event. I struggle with feeling that it's not fair that I should have to lose my best friend when I did nothing wrong in this situation, and I'm also grieving losing my closeness to her family through this. Will I ever get over this friendship loss and accept what's happened? Is there ever going to be a world in which I can trust my friend again and rebuild the friendship? Signed, a sad and lonely bitch. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. It also kind of reminded me of the article in somewhat of a way, in a topic we we haven't even discussed about it yet, is like, what if the friend is upset over something that they have done. Right. Well, right. Totally. Like, and it is kind of their fault, which sounds like pretty clear. Yeah. That at least to an extent. Um, or I guess even in the case that I gave of the Fleischmann's in trouble where the girl is like, you know, had, had done something that, you know, didn't do the best outcome for them. 
Right. Even, we always you know. think about it in terms of like you're, or not always, but oftentimes in terms of someone else wronging you and then you're upset, but the deeper and sometimes the, you know, harder feelings to get over when you've done something that you feel regretful about. Um, right. And it's hard because it, I wonder in this situation, if she's even having an opportunity to talk about if the, you know, the bad friend, we'll call her, sorry, bad friend, but that's what we're going to call you today. Um, speaking of easing her shame, we'll just refer yeah. to her as the bad, <laughs> the bad friend. one. Yes. So the flawed friend, um, I wonder if she's even had an opportunity to talk about what's going on for her with this listener. Like if she said they've spoken a handful of times, did they talk about the weather or did they like talk about this and what happened here? I mean, I, I, I am always a fan of communication. So I think the idea that she would at least let her speak and right. see where she's at, if there is a huge amount of remorse, if there is a huge amount of regret, if she is working on it, makes a big difference. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I also like, like people, I do believe in redemption. I think people do make mistakes. Obviously, like this is a huge thing. And I don't know if the friend whose husband she was or fiance she was sleeping with, is probably out on her. Right. I think fair. Right. Um, but does that mean, does this mistake of hers mean that she should live alone and in the dark and have no contact with anyone forever? Like, is that a fair punishment for this? And again, I think that you hit it like on the head when you said that it's really about how she thinks about this, I think would determine if we could continue the friendship. Yes. Like what is, how has she processed this? Is she kind of like, yeah, everyone's being really rude and overreacting and um, yes. and you know, I making excuses or or is she kind of being real about the situation? I was I was going through my own crisis. I felt really insecure. I don't I got caught up. I lost, you know, I lost my way, whatever. I don't know whatever the mm-hmm. reasonable excuse could be for this thing. Obviously, there's no like thing that excuses it, but I think if she comes to you real about it, and she's truly regretful. I don't believe that people should be punished forever. Totally. For, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. And I think one step further, and this is for anything that you're trying to change about yourself in any way, shape, or form, is what is she doing about it? So yes, I think the first step is having this conversation saying, if there is a huge amount of, you know, it's hard because you don't, you never want to wish someone to be like, you know, devastated by shame and, and guilt and, you know, crying over their, you know, feeling so remorseful and horrible, but like, you unless kinda... they broke up with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the exception. Sorry. <laughs> um, very true. But yeah, I think there are moments where you need to see that in order to, to believe it. You know, like I have couples where they'll come in and, you know, if whether it's cheating or just something that somebody's done, you kind of need to witness the remorse and the, the genuine, you know, feelings of remorse that somebody has. And there's a difference between just saying, yeah, I feel bad about that. And then like really genuinely showing an outpouring of, of that. So I think the first step is that. And then the second step is, like anything I was going to say that we talk about when you want to make a change is what is she doing about it? Is she in therapy? Is she, you know, changing her lifestyle in some major way? Like I always talk about, you know, AA, so Alcoholics Anonymous. Why is that so big? 
Why does it work? Why do people do it? One is the first thing or one of the first things you do is admit that you're an alcoholic, right? Because if you don't admit that there's Mm -hmm. something you want to change, you can't change it. And then there's this process of like consistency and constant work on it. So you're going to, it's really encouraged in your first few months, like 30 meetings in 30 days. Like you're going to go every day and you're going to pay attention to this thing that you want to change. So you can relate that to something like this, where if she is the same way alcoholics feel a lot of shame and guilt about the way their alcohol has affected their loved ones, this flawed friend has something that's gone on for her that she needs to work on and she needs to change on like a major level, not just I'm going to say, sorry, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. But like, I'm going to do 30 meetings in 30 days, whatever that means for her. You know, like she's going to, whether it's like a mindfulness practice or she's going to be reading a book every day that that's in line with what she's trying to do, or she's going to be listening or to certain, you know, podcasts or something that can help her, you know, understand why she's doing this or just go to therapy, you know, once a week, join a group one more time, like really actively working on changing whatever it was that was the underlying cause of this, whether it was self-esteem or depression, or maybe it was substance abuse, who knows, whatever it was. I think this listener asks, how can I trust her again? The proof is in the pudding. So Mm -hmm. if she's really working on it actively, that's a good way to say, okay, she, she really wants to change versus yeah, that probably wasn't the best choice. I feel really bad. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a hugely different um, approach to things. And yeah. I think that, and I think that's honestly true of anything, no matter what the mistake is, kind of like, that to me is the sign of someone who could be a good friend going forward is not someone, the ideal friend isn't a, flaw, isn't a flawless, perfect person. The ideal right. friend is someone who, when they do make mistakes, um, owns up to them, tries to change them and doesn't do them again. Right. Or at least tries very hard not to. Right. And Uh. the best way to try is to just make an active practice. That's like anything you want to do. You want to be healthier. It has to be a daily active practice. You want to be more in the moment, daily active practice. You want to eat healthier, daily active practice. So you want to, you know, make a change to your character, your judgment, whatever it is, it has to be a daily active practice. And that builds trust. Like if I have couples where someone was unfaithful, part of the process isn't like you just say you're sorry and then the person's never supposed to bring it up again. Right. You know, part of it is every couple days you kind of tell them, I remember what I did to you and I'm still thinking about it and and I'm like constantly working on being different. And so they know that you're not taking your eye off the prize because when you do, you're going to slip back. That's just human nature. You know, these are things that you have to constantly work on. It's important to, uh, to remind someone that you still feel ashamed of something. And like you said, it feels like a weird thing to ask, but that does help you forgive someone. I think when you know that it's, it's not gone, it didn't, it's not, no one's pretending it didn't happen. Um, And then what do you think of this? Cause it seems like there's another thing in the email it's not said explicitly, but sort of implied is that this like loyalty aspect to the friend or the friend group. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like there's a pressure to let's say her friend did all the things you said, feels terrible, is working on herself. Um, then there's this other aspect of it, which is like 
is it okay to stay friends with someone who hurt your other friend? Like, is right. there a, there, there's this, and I think we were brought up with a lot of this too, where it's like this sense of like, my enemy should be your enemy if we are, if you were my, if you were close to me. Yeah, that's that thing we were talking about earlier, that survival, clan, community, common enemy thing that is part of, you know, kind of instinctual in people. So I get why this friend group is doing that, but it sounds like she was the closest to this particular person. Like that was her person within the group, her best Mm -hmm. friend within the group. Um, And it is going to be really hard. I think she has to prepare that if she does choose to work on this rebuilding trust with this one friend, that she might lose some other friends in the group. I think this 13 person friend group is... (laughs) It's a little too big. Yeah. Anyway, we right. it, it was needing to be uh, it was needing to be cut. <laughs> yeah. So. so she may have to be willing to say, "Look, she's really doing everything." You know, if and that's why it's a good thing for her, for you to say, "Is she really doing the work? Does it feel genuine? Is what she's doing worth me potentially losing some other friends here?" Because I can't see that not happening. There's going to be some people in this group that are just going to right. write her off and and not want to be friends with anyone who's associating with her. Yeah, and in the case of the fiance, I could yes. I could see why that would be a healthier choice for her and you would I might have totally. to accept that. Mm-hmm. Which I agree kind of sucks for this person where she's like I didn't do anything wrong, now I have to cho- now I have to like lose yeah. a friend either way, but life I guess is not fair and I agree that's going to make it you probably more strict about like, is she actually doing this work because you will be sacrificing things by being friends with her? Yes. Yeah. So you'll have to really believe it to make it worth it. Right. And she can have that, you know, they should have that conversation. The, the, you know, the two best friends, she should say, look, I, you know, your friendship means a lot to me, but I really need to know that you're doing this in the right way because I am sacrificing these other friendships to kind of support you in your change, not just support you in your, okay, you did this, it's over, I forgive you, but like support you in like a genuine lasting change, or at least like understanding, deep understanding of how you could do this to someone, which I mean, it's pretty, it sounds pretty horrible, what she did. Yeah. And she said, also, I forgot to read this extra info, the affair never amounted to anything, it was just a hookup situation. So it's not even like they're now together and happy. Okay. So she's Ever. probably having a pretty bad time. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, so, yeah, I think the proof is in the pudding. See what she's willing to actually do. And open communication. I think she's probably at the point where she's afraid to even talk to this friend. Like, she probably feels even badly just opening up a dialogue with this person. Yeah, like guilty. I can see that. Right. There is nothing better than feeling yourself, especially when your denim looks and feels good. That's why Lee is a staple in my wardrobe, because everyone is an icon in their own right, and Lee makes denim so you can own your style and feel good about it. I got a few Lee pieces that I absolutely love. They've been a wardrobe staple of mine ever since I got them. I just keep basically like switching between the two or three jeans that I got. Every time that I wash them, they get more comfortable and they get more fitted and more flattering to me. I love that they flatter every body type. They're timeless. So you can wear them at any point. I love that the jeans feel like comfortable yet flattering. I don't know how they do it. It's actually an art and they've mastered it. Leah's denim jacket is the one to reach for without fail. A classic. The Ryder jean jacket is the OG, what every other brand has copied for decades. 
Denim trends come and go, but Lee is legendary for creating denim cuts that fit your body. Their spring collection is here, so get the freshest looks and cuts before anyone else. You can find your Lee fits by visiting lee.com. That's lee.com to shop spring looks now. Let's do a Betch Assist email. All right, let's do it. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. I'm a huge fan of the pod. I've been listening from episode one, and it's become my weekly ritual. You've really helped me to work on myself over these past few months, and I'm so grateful. Here's my situation. I'm going to visit my boyfriend's family in the Middle East in a couple of weeks, and my boyfriend has already mentioned several times that we will be spending most of our time with his mother. This was not even how the trip was pitched to me to begin with, so I was taken a bit off guard. Originally, my boyfriend said that we would go visit his family for a few days, and then we would travel around other countries in the Middle East together. He changed his mind because of how expensive flights and hotels are, but I was still expecting that we'd be spending some time just the two of us. Anytime I try to bring this up with my boyfriend, he says something like, well, I haven't been home in so long, or we are going to visit them. While I understand that we're going to visit them, and I'm happy to spend time with them, we're going for three weeks, and he seems to be saying that we'll be spending all day, every day with his family. I just can't imagine spending that amount of time with anyone's family, even my own. The worst part of it all is that my boyfriend and his mother really don't get along most of the time. Anytime she has come to visit us, they always get in really big fights after an hour or so, and he just complains about her the entire time. I've saved up a lot for this trip. The flights were super expensive, and the country itself is really pricey. Also, I've had to limit my lifestyle a lot these past couple of months to save, and I'm concerned that I'm not going to have as good of a time if I'm constantly in the middle of drama with my boyfriend and his mom. What do you guys think? Am I being selfish for not wanting to spend all my time with my boyfriend's mother while on vacation? Should I keep trying to bring this up with my boyfriend? And how should I bring it up if I do? Thanks for all you do, the wicked stepdaughter. Is she the stepdaughter or is she the... She's the... Wicked daughter-in-law more. Yeah, wicked daughter. (laughs) Almost not quite daughter-in-law. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would never spend three weeks with anyone's family, even my own. Yeah, <laughs> just three weeks. Except for sounds... you, besides oh, me. You're <laughs> with always... anyone else. Yes. Three, three weeks is an extremely long time to totally. spend, especially if there's like a semi-contentious relationship um, going on. So I totally see how she's hesitant. And I also can f- feel her annoyance that it, it was, was like pitched a to her. switch, yeah. Right. It was pitched to her as this like, we'll see my parents and then we'll go travel and go to these other places. And now he's like, oh, it's too expensive. We're just going to spend three weeks where you can watch (laughs) me and my mom bicker and then I can complain about her the entire time and you took off and you can pay for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This does sound pretty brutal. Although I have a feeling that he's not, I don't think it's going to turn out that way. I mean, if this guy is reasonable and somewhat, you know, on the same page. I don't think once he gets there, he's going to want to sit in the house with his mother for three weeks. Like, I just can't see it playing out like that. So he might just be feeling like, oh, I miss my mom and they're getting along great now because there's some distance. Um, I don't think when they actually get there that it's going to end up like that. I can't see anyone just wanting to do that. And you have your girlfriend there and you want to spend zero alone time. So I don't think it's going to turn out like that. However, I can understand why she feels um, very nervous to take this trip and spend all of her money. So she has a few options, right? One is the way you're setting this up. I I just, I kind of have decided that I don't think this trip is going to work for me because 
I just don't. This isn't, it's a lot of money for me. I don't really, you know, I thought we were going to be traveling. That was part of why I wanted to go. Maybe it's best if you just go spend time with your mother. That's one option, right? Yeah. Um, Good option. Yeah. I think, yeah. Fair option. Fair option. It was a, a little bit of a bait and switch. It was supposed to be a traveling trip. And now he's saying it's not a traveling trip. So she's entitled to change her mind if she doesn't want to go on it. Um, the other option is just to kind of spell out like what would, what she would need in order to make it work. You know, like I'm happy to go, but I really would like to, you know, go here for three days or four days with you alone. Is that something you'd want to do or not? And if he's kind of like, no, I'm not willing to do that. Then I think you can, you know. Yeah. If he's like, no, it's too expensive. I can't afford it. Then he's given you again, another reason to opt out. Right. Um, Potentially. And the third option, which I I know is very scary to take, but it's kind of where where I started, which is like, I don't think it's going to be as bad as he's setting it up. I don't imagine that he's just going to want to be spending three weeks like with his mother every second of every day and just kind of like breathing, trusting that you are going to be in control. And if you want to do your own thing for a day. I don't know where they're going in the Middle East or how, you know, what, whether she feels comfortable like traveling by herself or if that's an option or how that works. But um, to be able to say, look, I'm going to go to herself, hoping that it's not going to be the way he's setting it up to be. And then saying, if it is, I'm going to be able to take control of my own experience and kind of do my own thing. Right. And could you, if you change your mind, leave after a week? Right. Like change your flight, come back. Like, could you, I would have, if you're going to do that third option where you're like, I'm just going to suck it up and I'm going to go. I would make sure that there's like a feasible exit plan. Mm-hmm. If you're truly not feeling it. Cause three weeks is a long time to be like unhappy, kind of uncomfortable, uncomfortable. and unhappy yeah. and away from your home and feeling all of those things and away from your comfort zone. Cause then it's like constant. If you're feeling annoyed for three weeks, like while you're in your apartment, I feel like, you're kind of like at least in your own space and you could think about other things. But when your surroundings are completely unfamiliar to you, I think if you go with no plan B while you're there. Right. Or like, you know, I would look into like if you changed your flight, how much would that cost you? Would that be something that you'd be able to handle if you um, or if you did maybe if you, you convinced him to do a few a day trip or or a few days away? Like how much would that cost? Is that something that you could even you offer to cover if, if if he doesn't want to pay for it while you're there. Right, right, right. Yeah, and just, you know, I agree with all that, setting up those options and even exploring, and she probably knows this, we don't know, what are her options for, like, just being able to separate and do her own thing? Is that something she's interested in doing? And I guess depending on which country she's going to, it might be more feasible for her to kind of travel by herself or do her own thing. Um right while she's there. So if that's something that's an option, then you could say, okay, if you want to be with your mom, that's fine. I'm going to travel here. I'm going to go see this. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. If she's comfortable with if that. If she wants to do that. Right. Um, I This is an interesting question, I think. Like, what do you think? Because obviously, like, being in a relationship, you have to do things you don't really want to do all the time or hanging out with people that you maybe wouldn't want to hang out if you weren't married or dating this other person what do you feel like is the obligatory amount of time that needs to be spent with someone else's family 
just like out of respect and courtesy that doesn't feel <laughs> right. Like what's it, the minimum of, right. of respectful time? Would you say? It's hard because this is an international trip, right? Like you said, if you go to, you know, Long Beach to visit Mike's parents, you could be like, you know what, we're going to hang out for the day and then I'm coming home and I'm going to sleep in my own bed because right. it's like doable, right? Um, you don't ha- you don't even really have to have like a sleepover if you don't want to. But an international trip, obviously, you're going to have to stay and sleep over. Um, there's an expression that like, Guests are like fish. After three days, they start to stink. So maybe if I had to answer that question, I'd say like three days if it's an international or like a trip where you have to sleep over and like sleep in the same place. I could agree with that. I think that's a great that's a great rule of thumb. Three days maximum. That's almost like that's the maximum you owe, right? Or the minimum in when the circumstances preclude that. Right. You said like you're going around uh, across the the country, um, that's the that's probably like the most you would need to do, right? With anyone's family ever in any circumstance, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, I don't. I also think I think I like the rule of thumb, but I do think it's so dependent on the circumstance. Like if someone's not really super kind or welcoming or whatever, you might want to say like I don't, or there's boundaries that are being crossed. I don't want to do any sleepovers. Like I don't want to sleep right. there at all. Um, like I want to get a hotel, but I guess obviously finances are an issue. Um, but yeah, I think for like staying in someone's living with someone three days after that, it starts to become, cause yes. she, the mom's also probably like really excited for the first three days and she's going to be on best behavior and she's going to be really friendly. And then after that, it's kind of like, oh, well you didn't put your dish in the sink and you know. There starts to be these little like living habits that become more apparent after the first few days. Yeah. And then you also, I feel like can, after the first few days, the person that you're with who grew up with around their family starts to revert to whoever they were and whatever their survival techniques were in that instance, which might not be your favorite part of them either. Yeah. I think if, if nothing, if this turns out as she's expecting it and nothing changes, this could be like relationship ending for them. Yeah, um, don't do and- it. Don't go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Three weeks is like an absurd amount of time to expect anyone to spend with anyone. Even right. like if my maybe fr- like come on a trip ha- with my friends for three right. weeks, like, and they're not my like that would be excessive as well. Right, unless like your house went on fire and you have no place to stay, you know, like then I could see needing to spend three weeks like living with somebody. But if it's not, if it's not a crisis situation, life or death, it does seem like a lot of time. I agree. Save yourself. (laughs) Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly has a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There's no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So it's no big deal if you lose a button, spill something, or you just need to take a break. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. 
Get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code OVERSHARING20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code OVERSHARING20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's, with code OVERSHARING20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Let's do some intentions. Okay. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. Big fan of the show and of you up. They're the highlight of my work week. I need some help setting an intention to stop self-sabotaging dating. I apologize if this is a little long. I felt the details were needed. For some background, I'm still in love with my ex and care about him a lot. It's a strong statement. Yeah. We, we dated during the pandemic when, while he was remotely working in my state, and I knew off the bat that he'd be leaving to go to a new state eventually, but we still fell in love anyway. When his work went back to office and he moved, we decided to end things. Even though we weren't officially dating anymore, there was still a deep connection there. During a particular visit to my state, his parents live here. I saw him and our feelings were still there. We knew we were in love and decided to give long distance a try. Unfortunately, it didn't work for us or where we're at in our lives. Since then, he has come back to visit and I've seen him a few times. It always felt impossible to stay away from each other. But each time when he left, the sadness would come back and it made very... It very difficult for me. So in December, I told him I couldn't see him anymore. It was a very hard decision and it hurt to make, but I knew it was the only way I could move on. This leads me to why I'm emailing now. Currently, I'm dating someone new. He so far seems great and I like spending time with him, but I'm sabotaging things with this new guy and telling myself that I'm going to put a halt to it eventually before it becomes anything serious. We aren't even at the point in our point of where I need to make any sort of commitment, just casually dating, but part of me wants to run the other way. I think it is because I put my ex on a pedestal and I have a tendency to want someone I can't have, and he is someone I can't have. I also find myself comparing him to every other person and the connection I have with him. I'm scared nothing will ever come close to that feeling, and I'm scared I'll never be able to let go of the love that I have for him. I want to see where things go with this new guy, but I'm also scared I'm going to ruin things for myself and get in my own way. Thank you so much, self-sabotaging Betch. Yeah, she... um I think she knows what this is here. You know, I think she's, she put this ex on a pedestal probably because they never, you know, or at least since they were in the same place, were able to make it work. So there was always this kind of like unfinished story that never got written that allows him to stay on the pedestal. I think people say this a lot where it's like, it's very difficult to get over a breakup when there is no like negative thing that someone right. has done that makes it's almost like it's easier when you hate someone. Yes. Yep. For sure. And it's very hard when it feels like, you know, we could be together, but for these circumstances. And I thought the same thing. Cause I agree with you that there's no, she's left with this fantasy of this person and the other person's never going to meet that. And there's, you know, she doesn't have any of these feelings yet with this new person. And she, is like you said, when you read the first sentence, there's like a really still strong feeling of being in love with this guy. One, she may not be ready to date yet. If she's really still like madly in love with this guy, she may need a little bit more time, like living without the relationship on her own. But 
the intention that I wrote for her was along the lines of what you said, which is there must be something, maybe he's not terrible. He didn't cheat on her. He, there was nothing horrible that happened, but there were moments there where they were trying long distance and it didn't work, right? Like what was that? What right. was that moment? There must've been something that felt uncomfortable where you guys got on the phone or whatever it was and decided we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. Something that felt disconnected negative. or neg- negative, whatever it was. Yeah. So what I think she's doing, and this is an intention thing, and I'm glad she wrote in for the intention segment, is she's focusing probably on all of the good things, but right. there were moments something made them decide not to do long distance. Or alternatively, there's probably a negative feeling that she has when she thinks of, in order to make this work in reality, she'd have to she could move, right? If yeah. the distance was the issue, she could literally quit her job, leave her family, do whatever it would take to leave and move and be with him. If it was that strong of a pull, she's not doing that either. And what is the negative emotion that would happen there? There's something obviously hugely negative that she would feel that would, you know, for her to make that change. Right. So if she would focus on like, the reality of the situation is either I live in this feeling of whatever made them break up up over the long distance, or I live in the reality of whatever the negative thing that would happen if I quit my job and left my family and moved to be with you. That's the reality of this relationship. Yes. I agree. She's romanticizing it. Yes. The fantasy is all the amazing things that, he does when they are visiting each other, when they've been together, which is not actually the reality of this other guy that's right in front of her that like maybe doesn't have all the amazing fantasy stuff, but he's like actually there and they can create memories and moments and all that. Yeah. And as someone who's obsessed over someone who felt like out of reach for me, um, I also think this, like she, like I said, when she said, I'm in love with this guy, I'm still in love with my ex, blah, blah, blah. Um, by, by focusing on that part and retelling yourself that part mm-hmm. and reestablishing that neural pathway yes. of that story, yeah, you're not going to meet anyone new because you are, because that's the story that you're telling yourself. If you're not, folk, if you're not repeating the mantra of this guy was, again, she doesn't write the reason it didn't work out long distance, but let's say it's because he wasn't, putting that much effort in right which is a reason that things fail totally let's say it's that if she keeps repeating that story of this guy was you know not putting in the effort i needed not um that wasn't the relationship that was that was that i deserved i deserved more than that relationship like if that's the story she keeps telling herself then she might then she'll see the qualities then when she's dating and she's going on dates and she's talking to guys who are present or emotionally available or again mm-hmm. whatever that guy wasn't doing that he couldn't make it long distance because it sounds like she was probably into it enough that she would have kept it going really long distance. gone for it right so i assume it's him maybe it's not but i i kind of assume it's him so if she keeps repeating that story i think it'll be easier when dating to not be comparing everyone is like not as good as this other guy or not as good of a connection as this other guy if she keeps telling herself, I'm in love with this other guy, I'm in love with this other guy, we could have made it work for not for this thing, we could have made it work for not for this thing, like, that's the story that you're going to believe. It is interesting to 
to pay attention to the words that listeners use when they write in, in that regard, you know, like she's very clearly writing, I'm still in love with him. And look, I'm sure she does feel in love with him. And, but she wrote it twice and she is like practicing that story of I'm still in love with this person. Um, so yeah, I mean, the intention that I wrote for her is exactly along these lines. I intend to stay focused on what's real and in front of me rather than fantasy. And that's just going to be her reminder every time she starts floating up into the sky about whatever it is, the amazing sex they had or the amazing conversations they had or whatever it is that makes her feel in love with him to realize that that's not the reality. And she has to pull herself back into the real world, which is that the reality is they, they couldn't make it work staying connected in the life in which they're living. And they also weren't willing to, you know, do what it took to be in the same place. So, and this guy that she's dating is real. He's in front of her, whether it's him or it ends up being somebody else. Um, she has to focus on what is a real possibility for her instead of this fantasy of what could have been. And that's going to be just a constant mindfulness, intentional reminder of where she needs to take control of her thought process in that way. Yeah. And part of being in a secure relationship, I think, is living in reality. Mm -hmm. Like the relationships where there's someone always a little bit out of reach or avoidant or you don't fully have them, those are always going to be more exciting mm -hmm. for a longer period of time because it's not secure. Yes. And insecurity is exciting. Yes. So, yes. And I understand and I the draw to that, but it's not like, that's why, I mean, when I used to be like obsessed with this guy, I remember talking to our brother, um, and I was like, he texted me and I'm so like, I'm like, it's, he's coming, he's back. Blah, blah. <laughs> and he's like, not, he wasn't like feeding into any of that shit. And he was like, right. when you're, this isn't real. Like when you're ready, like you can do this. You can keep like going down that road. You can still tell yourself again that you were in love with this guy or that whatever. But when you're ready to be in a real, when you're ready to be in a real relationship that doesn't have, that's like real, that's not this like fantasy crazy thing, like then you're not going to do this anymore. So just do whatever yes. you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, but, there. You'll, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll learn soon. It's true. And, and sometimes people don't even realize that they're not, they think they want a relationship, but they really want to be chosen by somebody to be in a relationship. They don't necessarily want like the actual relationship, whatever that might be, the sitting on the couch and watching TV and, you know, whatever the things are that you do in a relationship, they just want the, the, you know, the excitement of getting into the relationship or maintaining the relationship or the insecure parts. So sometimes it's a matter of questioning what you actually are looking for. You just kind of assume, I think a lot of people just because their friends are in relationships or they think that's what they're supposed to do. They think that they want that when they really just want the, the chase of it. So yeah. So I think staying focused on, you know, what's real, you know, and the other part that I, I use a lot with people that are struggling with breakups in general is sometimes your mind, if your mind takes you to that fantasy place, you do the, I'll do this exercise. We'll say, okay, you're going back to that imaginary, beautiful place where you guys did this thing, right? Whatever it was, or you had this moment 
Don't stop there. Play out the rest of it, right? Then what happened? Then you got on a plane and left and cried for three hours on the plane on the way home by yourself. Right. Or, you know, whatever it is. You guys had a great day at the at walking around the park and then you got home and he wanted to go out and, you know, go watch football with his friends and didn't invite you to come. You know, like finish the day, finish mm-hmm. the story. There's a reason you broke up because if it was just like the fantasy place all the time, you wouldn't have broken up. There's a whole rest of the story that sometimes you kind of, because you want to swim in it, you want to swim in the, you want to bathe in the- Indulge in the- Yes. Right, yeah. The decadence of being obsessed with someone in in a fantasy world, in a rom-com. Yes, Yes, exactly. So in, in line with that, you'll stop the thought before you get to the part where- Things happened that made you want to break up with this person. Yeah. To bring the episode full circle back to that article, I think if you were telling someone, if you're telling a, it'd be, it's helpful as a friend of someone who's going through it in this person's scenario to finish the fantasy for them. Like I have friends who would come to me with a breakup and they'd be like, but you know, there was that time when they're, and it's hard to get over it. And they're like, there was that time that he did this nice thing for me. And then if you can help them finish it, even as a friend, be like, but right. yeah, but remember, like you, like the week later, you were upset because that was like, that was it, and then you know, right. no, you never, never did that again for another yeah. six months, right? Right, yeah. Like if you, I think that is, um, that's a helpful thing as a friend to comfort someone who's like, because I don't think always be comforting someone is about indulging them, like letting them do this indulgent thing, and there are friends, and it's funny because I, because I was like in this long term obsessive thing i had i knew i had friends for all sorts of things i had friends who were gonna who were gonna be like yeah he's obsessed with you (laughs) and sometimes i wanted that sometimes i wanted the friends that are like what are you doing like he's never it's never gonna happen totally it's funny you could think like your phone would just be like reality check right you know validation you know click here right go for it that's right (laughs) text him yeah no there's friends for everything um but I do think the most helpful friends are the ones who both validate and also bring you back to reality. Yes, totally. And in that way, validate first. Uh, this is really hard. You know, I know it's, there were so many great things that you loved about him. I could see why it's hard to let that go. Validate, validate. And then a little reality on the back end of like, yeah, but I also do remember that, you know. Right. Remember when this happened also, right. and then that, that I think is actually more helpful than anything else, but not everyone wants that. So yeah, that's why you pick and choose what you're in the mood for, <laughs> depending on which friend you're going to call. Exactly. I intend to, what is it? Stay in my reality and not I intend fantasize. to stay focused on what's real and in front of me rather than fantasy. I like that a lot. trigger. You want to read the first one? Sure. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. I'm a dedicated listener and love everything you do. I'm a first time mom to a 10 week old baby. My baby's on a strict breastfeeding schedule every two to three hours, which makes leaving the house a bit difficult and requires planning ahead and possibly adjusting the baby's feeding schedule. Recently, I've been making plans to get weekend breakfast with my close friends. Once our plans were made, I checked in the day prior, confirming the time and location. On two separate occasions, each of my friends asked to move our breakfast by 30 minutes, extremely last minute, within 30 minutes of us meeting. 
I got the text while I was already loading the baby in the car and about to leave. How triggered can I be? I woke up early to adjust my baby's feeding schedule so that I could attend this, not to mention was able to shower and get myself ready while looking after a screaming 10-week-old baby while my single, childless, petless friend had to adjust our plans last minute, not thinking that my baby will need to eat again within two hours. Okay. I left when I read this just because like, as because she points out her friend is single, childless, petless as like, I guess, a negative thing or like whatever, um, as a way to show that they should care more. The fact that this person is single, childless and petless means they have no idea how often your fucking baby needs to eat. Right. Like I have no, like I would, if it were me, even as someone married, childless, petless, like that is just why I wouldn't, I don't know. You don't know about how often a feeding schedule is or how annoying yes. it is to move. So to I've definitely probably done something like this just in the sense of like, oh yeah, like I'm running a little 20 late. Minutes, you guys like, mind meeting half hour? Yeah. Right. Or not thinking anything of it. Or sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, people with kids are usually late. So they probably are into that. Right. Right. <laughs> Give them a little bit more time. Exactly. Right. So she didn't say if she's like explained why she wants to meet at that particular time to her friends or anything like that. But if she hasn't, I'm kind of like, why would anyone not just do whatever they normally do? Why would anyone know that having a baby means that you can't, that you're bound to a very strict timeline? Right. I agree. I think that she's not realized, like she's in her own world of doing this, which is very hard. I get it. It's a lot. And she's trying to maintain friendships while having a 10 week old baby and making that a priority, which I think she feels like, okay, I'm making this a priority Hopefully they can accommodate me for putting in all this effort to maintain these friendships. But if you're not telling them what you're going through, they're not going to know. And I think if you said to them, hey, look, it's really very inconvenient for me to push things back a half an hour. So next time that happens, maybe whoever's ready can meet at the time we scheduled and whoever needs to be a half an hour late can be a half an hour late. But this is what I'm going through and I need to keep it this particular way for my own purposes. I know that's, you know, might be tough for you guys, but I'd appreciate it if you could, if you can't, you know, as long as one other person's there, you can sit and chat with that one other person until everybody else gets there, whatever it is. Yeah. I think that's, I think if she did that and these are her actual friends, if I had a friend again, not knowing anything about that, if they were like, before we made these plans said to me, just so you know, like, I know, like usually I wouldn't care if, we're changing the time by a few minutes. I'm actually like kind of anal about when I'm breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And so I'm moving some things around to meet at this exact time and would be so appreciative if we were just like trying yes. to keep it to the actual time. How would you really feel if someone said that? Would you be like, okay, cool. Or would you be annoyed? I think if they said it to me before we were meeting, I would make sure that I was there on time. Cause usually when I'm late, it's cause I'm kind of just like distracted and then I'm running late. And you don't think anyone else is going to even care. Right. If we're all operating on the system we used to be on, which is where no one really has that much going on. And like someone, someone is usually kind of trying to push the time 10, 15 minutes some way or the other. No one really cares. Or it's very, it doesn't matter at all. Someone was like, oh, it actually does matter for me. I would be like, oh yeah, then I'll make sure I'm there on time. Right. Yeah. You're not late to a job interview. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or start without me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I could see, I want to give her a little bit of, I think she's just in it. You know, she has a 
young newborn baby. And I think she's just overwhelmed and looking for a place to um, project some of this. It sounds like she's not getting that much help from a partner for whatever reason. If she's like having the screaming baby trying to shower and there's nobody that's like helping her with that process, it seems like she's not getting a ton of help. So maybe she is looking to her friends for more of that kind of general support, right? The support would show, oh, I know what you're going through. You have a newborn baby. This must be so hard. Kind of like we talked about again, Mm -hmm. validation of what she's experiencing. And they're just kind of going about their lives, not even noticing what she's going through. So I think that's probably the bigger piece for her than, I don't know about the bigger piece, but that's some of it. Because I know one of the things that I loved about breastfeeding was I could just whip my boob out at any time and feed the baby. I mean, some people aren't comfortable with that, but... um, as opposed to a bottle where you kind of have to like make it and warm it and do the whole thing. So I have a hunch that some of this is just that she's feeling kind of alone in this struggle. And then it's kind of like just salt in the wound that they're going to make it even harder for her by running a half hour late. Right. Or the last straw in a things that are in a list of things that are already feeling very stressful for her. Yes. That's what it sounds like because you know, if she had a supportive partner who knew she was trying to meet up with friends, that person would say, hey, I'll take the baby, take a shower, get dressed. I know you're trying to get out of the house. Right. I mean, this sounds like a perfect topic to share with your friends at these brunches about yes. like how you're doing. Like, I, totally. I think sometimes when you're like, oh, I'm going to get back and like see my friends and be social. Like, I think that's only really helpful if you're actually having like intimate conversations during these things. And part of it sounds like part of what would be real and intimate for you is sharing that you're pretty stressed out. Yes, I agree. Show up to the brunch and just say, be real with them. Baby was screaming the entire time I was getting dressed. And I have to be honest, it was a little annoying that you guys got here half an hour late and now I'm going to have to leave in 45 minutes to feed the baby again, which sucks. But next time it would mean a lot to me if we could stick to the plan. Right. Agree. So triggered. What do you think? I I feel like you give this on the lower end. I would give it like if she had told them before this and they were late, I would give it like a five or a six. Mm-hmm. But if she has never said anything, I don't, especially if she's maybe the first mom in the group and right. the rest of them don't have kids, I would give this like a two or a three because I just don't, I don't think they would have any idea. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'll I'll bump it up a little bit just because I think she's going through her own stuff and she's overwhelmed. And this was just literally like triggering um, because she's going through whatever she's going through and feeling overwhelmed in general. But yeah. Fair. Okay. All right. Let's do one more. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. My boyfriend and I have been together for two years and are getting close to engagement. Some background info. We've been living together since last year and share a dog. He is starting a new job out of state this summer and wants me to move with him. I essentially told him I would not be comfortable moving across state with him unless we got engaged. He understands where I'm coming from and plans on proposing at some point. I know he has been shopping for rings because he has told some of our friends. Last night, he randomly told me he couldn't afford a ring. He makes about $75,000 a year and I make about $135,000. I've always felt that he is a little bitter that I make so much more money. Whenever he complains about his lesser salary, I reassure him that if we marry, we are a team and we'll share finances and also reminded him that in a couple of years, he will get a pretty significant salary increase, whereas I'm basically capped out. 
Anyhow, he suggested buying me one of those silicone bands until he can afford a real ring, and I was triggered. I explained to him that lots of people with his salary or less still buy engagement rings, and I reminded him that I did not ask for a specific carrot size. I also told him I was fine with the lab-created diamonds since they are cheaper and to me look just as nice. I feel like I'm being reasonable and giving him options on his price point with the ring, but I really don't want a silicone ring instead of the real thing. How triggered can I be? Do you think he is just being cheap or trying to avoid getting engaged? Sincerely, diamonds are a girl's best friend. (laughs) The question at the end is interesting because the question at the end is, do you think he's being cheap or trying to avoid getting engaged? That seems to come out of nowhere. You know, like that she thinks that he's not even into the engagement. Well, so I, she's, I think the fact that she has now has kind of given him this ultimatum of the moving. She's like, I'm not going to move with you unless you're engaged. Does, does, I think, probably make her question if he really wants to do it or if he's doing it so that she'll move with him. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, the hard part is there's there's two ways to do this engagement thing. And I've seen it done both. One is you just patiently wait for the person to propose, which some people do that. And then it keeps this romantic idea of the person gets to decide when Mm. and how and the ring and all of that. And it's romantic and it's a surprise. She's already opted not to have that option. They're having conversations about getting married. She's giving him a timeline on when she wants it to happen there is a financial piece that she wants to be involved in kind of what type of ring she gets. So at this point, she's three quarters of the way there. I think mm-hmm. maybe she just says, hey, here's a carrot size. Here's a ring that I would be happy with that I think is within a reasonable, reasonable budget. Or even asking him, like, what is your budget? Because she's involved in the process. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. He's come up with a solution, which to him... There was some movie where it was so romantic. He takes a guitar string and wraps it up into a shape of a ring and it's a proposal and, you know. So, you know, she wants what she wants, which is fine. I think a lot of women do want that. But then you're involved and now you have an opinion and you might as well just say, let's just talk turkey. How much do you think you can afford? (laughs) And, you know, what do you think, you know, I want to, help you kind of find something that's going to work for both of us. Right. And if he's like, I can't really afford anything right now, I'll be able to afford, because it sounds like that's what he's saying. I'll be able to afford more at a later date, but you really want this to happen now. Right. So, and it sounds like he wants, he's like, he wants to get engaged, but I can see like she's putting the options on him, but it sounds like she's really the one who needs to decide like what is more important to me and getting engaged right now, even when you know it's coming, but getting the physical ring right now or waiting and getting the ring I want. Right. And look, there's, there's in between too. So I think there's something in between like a $15 silicone band and, you know, a $10,000 diamond. You know, I think she could say, you know what, why don't we go, you know, maybe you could pick out some a beautiful ring that you think is beautiful, but doesn't necessarily have like a diamond in it. You know, maybe they just need to have that conversation if there's something that could be meaningful in some way that doesn't involve a large financial investment. And I think that's the conversation that he's saying, I don't have the funds to, to propose to you with a significant financial investment. Is that something that you need? for you to say yes. Um, and I do think it doesn't have to be 
you know, a silicone band. I think it could, I mean, there's, go to TJ Maxx right now. There's like some beautiful rings there that might be really pretty and meaningful or go, you know, stroll around the city and, and pick out something that's a memory of that day that you spent together, whatever. There's a, yeah. It doesn't have to be nothing, but it doesn't have to be everything. I think they, but they probably do need to have a conversation about it. I also think this is a great opportunity to have a conversation about money in general, because mm-hmm. it sounds like she's sort of hinting or not even hinting, but saying explicitly that there's some like underlying resentments and maybe a feeling of a difference in a lifestyle that they both are interested in. And those are good. Those are better conversations to have now before you move, before you get engaged. Those are those are really the important things to iron out rather than the size of the ring. That's sort of just a it sounds like that's more of a metaphor here yes. for lifestyle or the way that they're they they feel about what they're both earning and bringing to the table, which it sounds like they haven't fully worked through. Yes. And her just saying, you think he's being cheap. Well, maybe to him, he's not being cheap. Maybe to him, he's being, you know, frugal or conscientious about money. And that is something that they're going to need to figure out. Like to him, maybe it's not worth, you know, buying a ring at this point because something else is going to have to give for him or for them. Um, right. So I agree. This is a great time to have a conversation about money. And that's why I say just really being open about what his budget is. And if her budget is a little bit higher, he might say, okay, here's two options. Either we settle for something cheaper now and I propose, or we wait and I propose with the ring you want, but we're going to have to move first. Right. And I mean, if he's saying that that they're going to be, he wants to get engaged to like, unless she doesn't believe him that he's that he's going to propose to her. And I think that's, that's a real intimate, um, vulnerable thing to say to someone. If that's your real fear mm-hmm. of like, do you not really want to get engaged? Or like, if I didn't make if does it sounds like I don't want to feel like I'm forcing you to get engaged. And part of like what the reason I've been triggered by the silicone ring suggestion is that maybe it felt like you weren't that excited about getting engaged because you offered this like extremely practical solution. Mm -hmm. And if that's really what's upsetting, I mean, maybe it's upsetting that she wants a certain ring or maybe it's upsetting that she kind of feels like it doesn't mean that much to him because she's asking for it. And I think that's something that it's good to share and he'll probably like that will help you both maybe be more vulnerable about how you actually feel about the engagement. Right. And I think he has something to share with, like they have something to talk about on his end too, or maybe he does need to share that he feels insecure about how much more money she makes than him and um, how that's, I think that's obviously an underlying issue. She said that, that he feels that way. Um, So I think that's something that needs to come out into the open and might bring them closer together if he can share his real feelings about his insecurity about money. So yeah, I agree. I mean, this was a triggered and I could see why it's triggering, but I, I ultimately think that this is a perfect time for them to sit down and have like a real deal conversation about money, the emotions behind money and how they're going to navigate that in the future. Yeah. I mean, nothing, I think that that's when, when something triggers you, that's a sign you haven't yes. worked through it. Yes. So. <laughs> totally. Great conversation before you move away and get engaged to get on the same page about, I think. Yeah. So how triggered are you about the silicone ring suggestion? I mean, truthfully, I think I would also not be happy with that. (laughs) Right. But I mean, again, it depends on the context and it would have, 
it sounds like he was framing it like this is a placeholder and right. I'm so I could see both. I mean, I, I think it's like a five because I think it could go either way. It really depends on like the expectations involved in it. But I, I think it's because part of the I think part and part of the meaning behind obviously like it's stupid to spend so much money on a ring like theoretically like it doesn't really make any like actual sense mm-hmm. but romance the like things are romantic because they're not logical in a sense right well i think it's romantic because it shows I, you bring up a good point the whole concept of this diamond engagement ring if aliens flew down from another planet they would just everyone does this it's like clock every single right. person wants this we all want different things. We have different cars. We have different homes. We wear different clothes every day. But on this particular thing, everyone wants the same color ring, same stone. Everyone wants a diamond. Why is that? Um, I don't know that much about jewels, but I think it's because it's the most expensive one that you can get, right? Yeah, it's I, a marketing I, thing, yeah, by the diamond industry, sure. <clears throat> right. So it's sort of like it's also – a a gesture of sacrifice, like literal financial. This is how much I'm willing to spend to show you that I want you in my life forever. Um, And so if it's not really about you needing him to make this financial sacrifice, maybe I urge you to just be open to, you know, a cubic zirconia or whatever it is. Like I know you said you're open to different, you know, lab created thing, but something or a different color gemstone or some, if it's not about him making this financial sacrifice, then think outside the box, make it not about the financial sacrifice because it sounds like that's stressing him out. And if it is about the financial sacrifice, you might want to wait until he's able to make more of a financial sacrifice. And I think a lot, I think that this isn't said that much because men don't really want to admit it, but I think a lot of men do delay getting engaged because they're not, do not feel prepared to make that, financial mm-hmm. sacrifice they don't feel like they can afford it and i do think that that way that's weighs on their own self-esteem right a hundred percent i agree what do you give this i give this a i give this a five yeah because I, I understand like the well it's just hard the, i think it's more it might even be more about other people the engagement announcement yeah. that now you're kind of like show Yay. me the ring well, it's Right. I can see not feeling excited to show someone. And the thing is, like, right after you get engaged, you have to show it. You show first thing everyone asks, how did he do it? Show me the ring. Those are the two things. So I can see where she's like, oh, this feels like a little deflating or non-romantic to be like, here's the silicone ring. Right. But you can't have it all. So this is the person that she wants to marry. And this is the person she wants to be with. And this is their circumstances. Yep. I agree. All right. That's it. I hope we helped. I, I think we did. Again, we love some updates. We get them every now and then. But if anyone, if we've processed your issue, we'd love to hear how it's turned out if you want to share with us. Yes, please do. All right. That's our time. Great work today. Oversharing is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge morales Pico, and Rebecca Salz mccaff Editing by Basilio Perez. Yes, booking by Ali Friedlander. Send your advice emails to oversharing at Betches.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-363-6294. Betches.